Hello, Docalos. It is I, Bob Sham, the host of this podcast you're listening to right now, The Documenteers. The Cod, the Cod Pass, the podcast about documentaries where we pick a documentary and we discuss the documentary and we hit it with the Herzog hammer, the Herzog rating scale. And we are in the middle of Herzog month. That's right. And Drew is with me on this episode because Werner Herzog did make a sports themed film back in 1974 for German television, The Great Ecstasy of the Woodcarver Steiner. And this is all in German, but don't worry, you can find this online if you find the YouTube channel Jessica BRR. That YouTube channel has a version of the Woodcarver Steiner where you can turn on English subtitles. So watch it there. Also in this episode, I uh, am fighting a cold. That's why it sounds like I snorted a bowl full of milk. A little thick, a little thick. I kind of got a thick voice though anyway, you know. Anyways, next week we will be doing Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World about the internet and technology and where it's going and the scary things about it. We'll be doing that with Stuart. And it's on Netflix, so you can watch that and join us then. But this week, the great ecstasy of the Woodcarver Steiner with my man, Drew. Backroom whispers. So let's get into it. Let's get to watching it. And keep on docking, my friend. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Ich habe zum Beispiel hier diese Schüssel gesehen und dann die Formen, wie sie weggehen. Es ist wie eine Explosion. Now, the Fast and the Furious movies, I'm a little upset because of the Fate of the Furious, Jason Statham. Well, no spoilers. Look, it's been out of like two years now. Look, I still haven't seen 6, 7, or 8. Or, Wait. Or 6, 7, or Fate. I guess 6 would be a spoiler, what I'm going to say. Have you seen Tokyo Drift? Probably. Even so you know about Han. Yeah. He comes back? Comes back, I think, in 5, <laughs> right? Yeah. 5 or 6. Five was where kind of everybody came back. Well, for no reason. Yeah, everyone comes back in five. I think Han's in that one. That's the one at the end where Jason Statham shows up. Doesn't he kill Han at the end of that? Is that five? Or did you spoil six for me? I, oh, there's too many of these things. Anyway, dude. Jason Statham kills Han <laughs> for some reason. They kind of rewrite Tokyo Drift with this weird scene. And then by Fate of the Furious, everyone's pretending like he's all right. I'm like, he's murdered Han. My favorite Fast and the Furious character. Remember this guy who killed your friend? Eh, he's all right now. Yeah, basically that's what they did. There's not a lot of thought going on in these movies. No, that's that's the tagline for the Fast and the Furious franchise, I think. But there is a lot of using explosions to propel yourself forward. Hell that's yeah. always helpful. Drew, yeah. welcome to the Shamco Studios. It is my great ecstasy to be back in the Shamco <laughs> Studios with you, Bob. For a while, I kept getting the title wrong. I kept calling it the Divine ecstasy the supreme ecstasy yeah and then there's the woodcarver steiner but there's no the after there's only one the in it i thought I, it was the great ecstasy of the woodcarver steiner 
I think the direct German translation is Sculptor Steiner, too. There's some versions out there you'll see Sculptor Steiner. Well, I'm leaving. Goodbye, Tin Man. All right, see you later, I don't even man. know what movie we're talking about anymore. This episode, Drew, it's going to be released on September 11th. September 11th, as we all know, a very faithful day. My birthday. Where you were born. Happy birthday, buddy. Hey, look at that. Yeah. Thanks for the great present. A podcast with you on it on your birthday. How cool is that? Damn, I feel pretty special. Oh, don't cry. Now, normally we do 30 for 30s. Not this time. We decide there's too many, so let's put it off again. Yeah, and then it's a good thing that my birthday is the only thing people think of on that day. I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, that's all that comes to mind, truly. Hold on, let me think some more. Now they're going to think about this podcast, too. Yeah, never forget. Hey, appreciate you, man. Drew's birthday. But we are discussing, It's we're in the middle of Herzog month. We're dead set in the middle of it. It's Herzog month because this is the year that Werner Herzog came out of the hole he lived in for 20 years, right? And brought us all the documentaries he'd found. I'm going to keep going with this conspiracy theory about uh, Herzog getting all his documentaries from a hole in the center of the earth, if that's cool. Well, we also did uh, Into the Inferno. I believe it's the week before this one drops. And uh, we did look into the center of the earth, and Werner did. And it's wild, bro. Lizard people or mole people? All I really want to know. Lizard moles. They're like hybrids. I knew it. A new species. God damn it. All his documentaries were trying to tell us if we could just put the pieces together. But Werner does have a sports-themed movie out there. We're talking about this film. What is it called, Drew? The Great Ecstasy of the Woodcarver Steiner. Yeah, because when you first told me that we were going to be doing this film, you did not tell me anything about the English closed captioning subtitles. I didn't know about them. So and I, I was really excited to watch this and basically do a bad lip reading review of what I assumed they were talking about in this film. There are a lot of videos of it online where there I don't think there is available closed captioning. There's none on the trailer either. But the Jessica BRR YouTube channel does. And I think there's one other Werner movie on there that you could watch with English subtitles. So thank you. Jessica BRR, for allowing us to understand what this movie is saying. For making this episode a lot better than just randomly guessing about what was going on. We're like, you know, he, he sounds he sounds kind of like a bitch. And I think he's talking about the donkey bar at some point. <laughs> so The donkey bar? I'd love to know what happens at the donkey bar. I'm well, pretty sure I heard a couple of mock schnells in there. <laughs> 1974 is when this was shot. And this is pretty important in, in Werner Herzog's history of filmmaking. This is the first film in which he appears, I believe this is true, that he appears on camera. Wearing a Dallas own, Cowboys sweater. Wearing a Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, is that a Dallas Cowboys windbreaker? <laughs> it looked like it. It was kind of throwing me off, actually. Why is this German guy talking in a Dallas Cowboys sweater? God bless Texas. I don't know. But yeah, that's what that is what it looked like. But it's the first movie where Werner appears on camera in his own movie by request of the German television station that he was shooting this for. This was actually an hour long, but the German TV station reduced it by 15 minutes to fit into TV time. So it wasn't just basically him as a sportscaster covering this. It was meant to be a movie length thing in the first place. Yeah, a full hour. I'm assuming five more minutes of crashes at least. Yeah, we didn't really have too many rad dunks, but we had a whole lot of sick crashes. Man, ski jump crashes look really painful. Especially in slow motion with... I think they were all in slow motion. <laughs> Just falling down a hill. With Popple Vuh music being played. 
the music in this is by a German krautrock band named Papa Bull. Uh, specifically, the keyboardist Florian Frick, who founded the band, has done multiple work with Werner. Uh, he did work on some of his feature films like Nosferatu, Aguirre, The Wrath of God, and Heart of Glass. But the music really hypnotizes you and really pulls you in. Doing Herzog Month and watching all these movies, there have just been like weird moments of peace, sitting back and just something relaxing. Even Into the Abyss is about a brutal triple murder and a and a man being executed. And still there's like some weird bit of serenity somewhere in that movie. How does he do that? I was kind of wondering the same thing. I was watching this and being really absorbed into this film and thinking oh man it's almost like he's a good filmmaker or something yeah it's like it's like he can back up what people say about him but it was also very distinctly german yes we saw so many crashes so many wipeouts so many rough ski jumpers rolling down hills in slow motion but it was not it was not benny hill style tomfoolery with all these crashes it was not american style sports bloopers like oh to the set to wipe out or something. It was all in slow motion with whatever that popple vool you were talking about music in the background. Uh-huh. Very, very failure. Not afraid to show a lot of failure, but this movie is about the ski flyer Walter Steiner. He's a Swiss man and he's a woodcarver. That was the first real twist of this movie for me when they showed his jump, not the original jump, the intro, the very, very super slow-mo. Where I'm just like, close your damn mouth already of him flying through before they get to the title cards. But his next jump where you see if you've watched a lot of older sports highlights, if you've been in that world, you recognize that kind of old Olympic style where they show the name and then next to it is the parentheses where the country they're from. And it had the SUI for uh, Suede, which is what it stands for, obviously. And again, first twist of the film. I was almost positive that the woodcarver Steiner, with his great ecstasy, was going to be German. But no, he's Swiss. And then we saw about two seconds of carving some wood. A little talk about how it looks like a bowl, so I'm going to make it into a bowl. Yeah, he describes the uh, the concave nature of his wood carving. I have zum Beispiel here diese Schüssel gesehen und dann die as like an inverse explosion, he's explaining the tension of his carving piece. But that's the only time we see him carving anything. <laughs> Twist number two, that is the only wood carving in the entire damn movie. It almost seems very, I mean, that is... It's uh, in the title, man. That is Walter Steiner's primary profession, is carpentry and wood carving. Wouldn't get that from the film. He's also a prominent ski jumper. But in this movie, it's about ski flying. Which is a little different than ski jumping, apparently. I thought this was just the European way of saying ski jumping for about half this movie. Same. Like, oh, that's very artistic. I like it. It's poetic. Ski flying. Yeah. He's a ski flyer. But then they said something about there's only four or five ramps in the world big enough to be ski flying instead of ski jumping. Like, oh, well, shit. (laughs) I guess they're different things. Yeah. Five in the whole world. 
but I don't think they're different in our American way of saying things. It's or, a big ass ski jump. It's, yeah, ski jumping. It's like about form and style and like hitting things just right, like how we see on the Olympics. Distance does mean a lot, but so does the form, taking off just right and looking good while you're flying to the air. Ski flying is just about distance and getting as far down there as possible. And then not dying. And not dying and not crashing. And we see a lot of crashing. We see minutes and minutes of just brutal ski crashes while Popple Vool music is playing. And it is hypnotic. Just something about watching this form, this blurry 70s film, just watching him crash through all this sheer white. Failure definitely seems more interesting to Herzog than the successes. He's very focused on the failure in this movie. But then he's almost, almost seems like a giant fan when he's talking about Steiner. He's kind of gushing over him. The first jumps we see, he's basically at the, at the place. The first time we see Werner Herzog, he's at the place where Steiner made one of his biggest jumps. Walter Steiner um, is in sehr großer Gefahr gewesen, denn wäre er nur 10 Meter weiter geflogen, dann wäre er hier in der Ebene gelandet und man muss sich etwa vorstellen, dass er aus 110 Meter Höhe abgestürzt wäre auf eine ebene Fläche. Er wäre sicherlich tot. And he says that if he had gone this much further, he would have hit the flat and probably died. So here I am standing where the subject of my movie almost died. And that's what inspired him to start filming this guy. It would have, he would have just been a smear. He leaped 179 meters. 10 more meters, splat. Splat. So now we go into the, his next tournament right after that, which is in Yugoslavia. Yes, yeah, at a town called Planica or Planica. Planica. And Yugoslavia, I think this part is now Serbia. Slovenia. Because Yugoslavia broke up. Look, they just had, they just went different ways. Terrible band management. Probably a horrible war. Oh yeah, one of those. You two. know, one of those horrible humanitarian crises. That pits brother against brother in an awful way that rips countries apart. But yeah, Werner is kind of fangirling over Walter here. And it's important to note that he did not win that last event. No. He was not the champion. It was the East Germans who practiced too much, apparently, that won the first event of the year. But the next event, this one that really it took me a minute to realize that this event was the entire point of the movie was this one event in Planica. Planica. Yugoslavia. It's important to point out that Walter, how young everyone is. Obviously, Werner's young. He's 32, I believe, when this movie was filmed. Walter Steiner is a phenom in this sport, and he's 22, 23. After his loss to the East Germans in the first one, they said nobody was talking to Steiner. But Herzog saw something in that previous jump that was 10 feet away from death that he was better than everyone else. He was just so much better. He was a different category of ski flyer. He just wasn't kind of putting his all into it. Maybe he, he feared going too far. He talks about how juries are discounting like marks for his jumps. I wasn't sure if I understood completely why they would do that. Did you pick up on that? No, I, I wasn't. Because the only thing that seemed to matter was the distance. But you also have to land it. So maybe that's what they were saying. Is that if he didn't, he wasn't landing cleanly because he was going past the area you were supposed to land on. They discounted points for him for that. Very yeah. bizarre. Not quite up on my exact scoring of ski flying rules in the 70s. Ski flying in particular... Not just ski jumping, but ski flying appears to be just a very European thing. 
Again, I think that this is just ski jumping as far as we know it here in America. We don't really have the word ski flying. It's kind of poetic way. You feel like Werner Herzog could come up with 800 different ways to describe this sport. But to us, it's just a really big long jump. Really big long jump on skis. But it looks so, cool. It does. It looks cool. But I'm pretty sure that if you showed it to anybody, it would just be a ski jump. I guess so. It's just big ass ski jumping. <laughs> even bigger ramps, even further flights. Right. Fine, go for it. I don't think there's a separate Olympic sport for ski flying. Although maybe there was in the 70s because our boy Steiner here did win a medal at some point. Well, the, I know in the 70s, the ski ramps were hairier. <laughs> yeah, but he talks about that ski flyers <laughs> cannot speak of fear. No. There's no word for fear. They, he can't even watch people do jumps. If it looks like they're going to crash, he's got to turn it away. They have to get that fear out of their head. He talks about when he jumps, it's like he's not truly aware of what's going on until he, he's in midair and that tautness comes in and then that awareness strikes him. And then he could take that instinct to drive him down or crash brutally hard. Either way, we get one shot of him wiping out before he even gets off the ramp. That was brutal. To him, it's almost NASCAR right now. The fans are coming out there to see him crash. Pretty much. Because they know he's going to attempt to go further than anyone else. But that's not what mattered to him. This guy is so complex here that you can see why Herzog followed him around for the film. It's really interesting seeing this kind of tug of war between him and the organizers of the event in Planica. Planica. They obviously make this ramp to try to break the record. It's very fast. It's very big. It's going for a huge distance. They want to break the record. They know what that's what the fans are coming out to see. They want to see specifically him, Walter Steiner, break the record. But he's not all in for the records. He says the ramp is too fast. It's going to get people hurt. He can tell that. So his first jump, he goes at half speed and he blows away the previous ramp record. He goes past all the distance markers <laughs> and they have to take some time to figure out exactly how far he went. And that's his jump at half speed on this. So he's got this little give and take where he's like, the organizers of this, they don't know what they're doing. They've made it too fast. They're going to get people hurt. I'm going to fly too far. They should have asked me. He's like, if they listen to one man, Walter Steiner, they would get this event right. <laughs> but they just want to see everybody go far and fast. A crowd of 50,000 people have come to watch this event in Planica. Planica. People are hanging in the trees. It's kind of funny to watch so how many people. people. I kind of wanted to go. I wanted a party. Party in Planica. Planica. I'd love to hang out and just watch people crash hard down a ski slope. All right, I'm going to tell you right now what I thought this movie was going to be about. I was almost positive. I'm like, I'm all right, I'm on to you, Werner Herzog, you wily fox. You've been planning this, setting it up from the beginning. We've seen Walter Steiner, the best ski flyer of his era, fall a whole bunch of times, concuss himself, bang his head up. We saw him very early in the film talking about this bowl-shaped thing that he was going to make. Pretty sure he was setting up Walter Steiner makes the first helmet for ski jumpers oh. with his sick wood carving skills. <laughs> Changes the game, then everybody can go as far and fast as they want without fear because they got helmets so they don't splatter their noggins all over the ski jumps. Boom, Woodcarver Steiner made helmets, changed the game. Great choice for a documentary. That would have been interesting. No, there's no helmets. No. They just keep splattering their heads all over these no. ski jumps. You know, that's kind of what's nice about watching. And watch. there's no more wood carving. Nobody's like covered in uh, advertisements or anything like that. We're watching sport for the pure sake of sport here. And you even see some shots of dudes. Steiner's wearing goggles and, a, and a, like a knit cap at least. We see footage of some dudes. They're not wearing anything but their 
ski suit. Nothing covering their head. Nope, just slow motion, wide open mouths flapping in the breeze. Aren't they afraid the snow flies are going to slap into their face? <laughs> just eating all those snow flies the way down with the yeah. wide open mouths. That's a thing, right? Snow flies in <laughs> Eastern Europe? Okay. Uh, but they're delicious, actually. Uh, well, when the apocalypse comes, you're going to have to eat a lot of snow flies. That was bothering me, all the slow motion. Like, close your damn mouths. Doesn't that make you more aerodynamic? Not that I'm a professional ski flyer or anything, but... Now, when uh, Steiner did that half-speed jump, that was just a practice run. This is practice day. And he nails 169 meters just for practicing half-speed. That's a solid jump for any ski flyer. That broke the previous ramp record. His half-speed jump broke the record on this ramp. Werner asks him, is it too far for this ramp? Steiner says, Yes. Again, he's saying that they've made this ramp far too dangerous and too fast, and it's too easy for him to go too far. He's got a good point where he, he shits on the Americans. He's like, well, I saw American ski jumpers go down. And they were getting like 140 feet. And if Americans could get 140, <laughs> I'm going way over this. <laughs> but the Americans, they're good jumpers. Oh, thanks, man. He wants to do a second jump. They say, okay, we're going to shorten the ramp. Because you already went past all our markers at half jump speed, apparently. So we'll shorten the ramp. They shorten the ramp. He goes down it anyways. I guess not at half speed, since they shortened it. I think he goes for it. And he goes... Way too far. 179 meters. Wipes out. And crashes. Hard. Down. Rolls down the hill on his head. Again, thinking he was going to build a helmet. God, I thought I was so smart. <laughs> but no, no helmet. Just they take him off in the hospital. Werner Herzog's like, oh, he's not. He's probably not even concussed. It wasn't that bad. And they show him in there where apparently he didn't remember the crash or taking his number off. And he's wobbly on his feet. He's probably concussed. Yeah, he said he lost some memory there. And he was told of his fall five times before it sunk in. And Werner is afraid that his film is over. Yeah, no more jumping. He's hurt himself. They go to a cabin where it's too dark to film. And they're talking with Steiner. So there's no footage of him in the cabin talking. But you do see slow motion ski jumps while they make this discussion. So many slow motion ski jumps. And he's complaining of people complaining about how much he broods. He's like, if everyone would just listen to me, this sport would be a lot safer and a lot better for everyone. Yeah, we're tired of you complaining about how unsafe it is and that you've got to fix you've got a way to fix the ramps. We gotta slow everything down, all this stuff. And everyone's like, quit moping, Walter Steiner. Look, I'm gonna be honest here. I would never say this in the 70s, but here in Year of Our Lord 2018, Herzog Month, Walter Steiner's probably on the spectrum somewhere. He's definitely a unique fellow. He's a very interesting dude. As an American, you just want to be like, I guess Europeans are like this. But you're talking about a weirdo, Werner Herzog, doing footage of a weirdo, Walter Steiner. They're just weirdos. He uses the word broods to describe himself many, many times. <laughs> it's really just this, this give and take. To me, as a sports fan, being on the other side of this argument on our radio show every week, it really is super interesting which side of this you would go on automatically. Like, half of me wants to say, all right, Walter Steiner, man up, jump as far as you can for the record, and try not to die, because that's your sport. Do as best you can, and ho 
try to land it because you're the best in the world at this. Go for it, man. It's a fast ramp. You should be like, hell yeah, it's a fast ramp. I'm going to get the record. But then another half of me is like, look, this is this dude's life they're playing with. And he does seem to know better than the organizers that you do need to slow it down or it's going to be too dangerous. He's going to go too far. And he never carved a damn helmet. So if only you were there in 1974. <laughs> which side of the, which side of that do you take? Your immediate response as a red-blooded American sports fan. Do you want to say, fucking man up, Walter Steiner? Well, I think the Americanists would actually side with the great athlete within the sport. And, well, it would be split. The country would be like, fuck Walter Steiner, and the other half would be like, do everything Walter Steiner says. Because that's the fucking American way, isn't it? It's already split here. They, the jurors in Yugoslavia, he keeps using the word jurors, but I imagine that's just the event organizers from right. the context. They don't give a shit what he's saying. Look, we're the ones who set up this event. <laughs> Here's how it's set up. Do it. Uh, and he's like, all right, I'll do it, but I'm starting lower than everyone else. Yeah, he starts halfway down. Or not halfway down, but like a, <laughs> like a meter, a rung down, basically. He starts lower on the ramp than everybody else, basically giving himself a giant handicap. Also, remember, he just fell. Couldn't remember his own fall. The dude's obviously concussed. He's going for a third jump. We're wondering if he was even going to jump again in this event. He's like, I'll take a third practice jump. All right, I'll do it. He nails 166 meters, lands. Werner asks him, why jump so soon after the fall? Steiner says, if I had waited, I would have been too scared to do it. But I thought they didn't know the word for fear. Well, I think he's afraid of the word fear. Well, there's a lot going on in this. Again, there's not much dialogue. There's not much in the way of action really going on, but... Again, I just want to say it's good filmmaking is that you just pull a lot out of the context. You can see this fight between fear and glory, which direction he wants to be pulled in. I feel like sitting here, I've never seen this film before. This film is well over 30 years old. And I don't know if this guy's going to be champ, ski fly champion of the world or if he's going to like die at the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen this film either. I've never even heard of this film or Walter Steiner for that matter. Ski flyer, great athlete, obviously, but from the early 70s, well before either of us were born. He might be hamburger at the bottom of this jump, and that's what this film is about. Yeah, right. Because he didn't carve a helmet. So we've spent a lot of time in this film and are talking about it on these three jumps in Planica. Planica. But those were just his practice jumps. Yeah, we're just practicing right now. The day before the official competition starts, this time it counts. Werner Herzog's real worried. I see allerdings a problem heute Nacht hat es sehr gefroren und die Anlaufspur muss außerordentlich schnell sein. Man hat gestern ja schon von der untersten Luke aus gestartet und man kann den Anlauf nicht weiter verkürzen. Apparently it froze over the night before the actual official event starts. And Herzog is like, that's going to make the ramp way faster than it was in the practice jumps. Now I'm putting myself in the shoes of one of the 50,000 people that are in attendance. Woo! Even Woo! faster ramps! Faster ramps, yeah. I get what the people want here. Woo, trucks! Trucks. They want to see him go as far as he possibly can. And I can't blame him. It's cool. 50,000 people are watching. They heard about that crazy jump where he crashed and hurt his head, where he went to 179 kilometers. Not kilometers. Meters. Meters. Uh, that would have been a hell of a jump. <laughs> but the sun does come out. This is where he started a bit down the ramp. He still handicaps himself in the official competition by starting lower than all of the rest of his competitors on the ramp. Steiner says it's scandalous. He uses the word scandalous in German, of course, of the judges 
to not shorten the ramp. Steiner says, I wanted to fly, and this is the first time I wasn't afraid. So before day two, they release a whole lot of pigeons for some reason. Yeah, well, there's a shot of pigeons. There's plenty of lingering shots. That's well, Werner's well, thing. What are all the pigeons do? Why are they releasing pigeons over the ski jump course? Did they release them or were they just flying? No, they released a whole bunch of them out of cages, and then he filmed them flying around for a while. I, I must have missed that they released them. Yeah, there were just all these pigeon cages set up. And here you go, a whole bunch of pigeons. We get some lingering shots of Steiner prepping. And then we get Not some with f- the pigeons. And we get some footage of other jumpers, some driving music by Popple Boo. Man, this was another part that kind of stood out to me because we saw a whole lot of other jumpers jump with no narration, just that music. The only reason you could tell that this wasn't more Steiner jumps was that everybody had a different number on their competition bib. But one thing I'm looking at is that Steiner does look different than all the rest of these when they jump. He's got something. He is a transcendent athlete. You can see why Herzog singled him out. His form looks completely different. He gets way lower, way flatter, his body position over the skis in the middle of the jump. His curl on the ramp going into the jump is way tighter. He's on a different level than these other guys. And again, you can kind of see why... He would be afraid that they're not taking into account his jumps, his ability on these things, because he's on a different level. He can make it so much further than the rest of his competition if he was going full full force. Well, Steiner does a jump. Nails it. Werner comes up to him and says, You hit 20 marks three times. That's never been done before. Whatever that means. So it sounds really good, though, doesn't it? <laughs> Hell, he got those 20 marks, damn it. <laughs> and Steiner's like, well, never for me. And Herzog's, never for anyone, no one. Apparently there was some deductions involved, which I still don't get why they do that. But he still is far and away ahead of everyone else in the competition. Steiner said he did this so that the Yugoslavians would be happy. He kind of blames it on the Yugoslavians. You animals! <laughs> they came up to him, apparently, and were like, all right, he's probably already made the jump that was going to win the competition. Herzog's gushing over this jump again. He says it was probably the most perfect jump in ski flying history. That's a pretty high praise for some ski flying right there. Yeah. But the organizers, again, they keep going over to him and they say, jump all out, go for the world record. If you're not going for the world record, you're letting down the Yugoslavian people who all all come out here to watch you. You don't want this country to break apart, do you? Oh, too soon. Oh, sorry, sorry, y'all. Basically, they're just calling Steiner a giant pussy. They're like, look, man, <laughs> jump. Look at these crowds. Break the record. Go for the world record. We set it up for you. It's a fast course. Jump again. Jump again. <laughs> Come on, do it. Jump again. Peer pressure. And it works. And he does it so the Yugoslavians will shut the fuck up. <laughs> for the fans. The organizers, they sped the course up again before this jump that they pressured him into. They sped the course up one more time. Obviously, this is so obvious, they want the world record to be done right here on their ramp at Planica. Planica. Say, look, we want the world record. You can do it. This ramp is so fast. It's set up. You can do it. You can get the world record. They make him jump again. He does jump again, but he starts two sections down this time. <laughs> like, look, I'm not splattering my head all over your jump just for a world record. You've made it too fast, too dangerous. I know that's what you guys want to see. You want to see either a world record 
or you want to see me crash out spectacularly. It's not something you hear from an athlete that often. That, like, caution, that measure of safety. Any athlete you see nowadays, it seems like, would be like, world record? Let's go for it. Let's go for it at the cost of anything. Again, you can see this being a hot-button sports talk issue. Like, which which do you choose, man? Do you Do you castigate the athlete for not trying to go for a world record when it's right there in his grasp? Or do you say, like, look, this guy knows better than everybody else what he's capable of? Yeah. Listen to him. Yeah. Don't keep speeding it up. That's interesting. I mean, I think as we get further into 30 for 30s, I can think of one on hand where we will be discussing the difference between what the spectators want out of an athlete and what the athlete wants for himself. It seems like Steiner, he's just in it for the thrill of the flying, the sensation. His great ecstasy. That's what he gets out of it. As far as what the numbers are at the end, he doesn't seem that concerned about it. No, he really doesn't. It's this real cat and mouse game between him and the organizers. Like, every time they speed up the ramp, he's like, all right, I'll start one level down. <laughs> it's <laughs> almost Looney Tunes or Scooby-Doo in here. Yeah. Like, all right, well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put all these pinfoil things over the ramp to make it melt and it'll go even faster. It's <laughs> like, all right, well, then I'm starting two sections down. <laughs> It's almost, it's almost a farce at this point, but it's not in this movie because, again, it's Werner Herzog, not Benny Hill. Yeah. It could have gone a totally different direction, but the direction keeps you engrossed and super serious. It's never played for laughs. No. It's always played as this existential battle, decisions that he has to make, what comes next, the psychological, what's in Steiner's own head. Deep. I can hear the Popol Vuh music play as you discuss the the mentality of Steiner and what he's going through. Yeah, now picture the same scenes with the yakety sacks in the background. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Puts a smile on my face, that's for sure. That's not what's happening here. But they present statues. They've got goose statues, but Steiner gets the crystal cup. <laughs> I would have been upset if I didn't get the goose statue. That could be fifth place for all I know. Oh, man, I had a big line here in my notes here that's like, all right, so he... He won the competition. He won the competition by apparently the biggest margin a ski flyer ever won a competition before. And he wins a wooden duck. <laughs> Fuck yeah, here's your wooden duck. Yeah. But they no, march he gets, out the wooden ducks. <laughs> but they give him the crystal cup. But I think the duck was cooler. Wooden ducks were pretty sweet. Or maybe goose. I think he might be right. Steiner's up there on a, the podium rocking some sweet shades. They almost look like goggles, like he just can't leave the sport, even after it's over. <laughs> He's got giant sunglasses that are totally in fashion right now. 1974 ski goggle sunglasses are ripping up Beverly Hills today. Steiner tells a story, it's a, kind of a sad story, um, about a raven he had when he was a kid. He found a little baby raven. Holy shit, this story was depressing. And he reared this raven on bread and milk. Now, a raven kid will eat like grains and shit, but... They're also carrion birds as well. As it grew, and he would go to school, he'd ride his bike, the raven would meet him and land on his shoulder, which sounds heartwarming as shit so far. And the raven would wait for him to come back from school, land on his shoulder, and then he would go feed him. Well, the raven would eventually start losing his feathers, and other ravens would attack the raven as well. The raven did not seem to function well amongst other ravens in its bird society. And eventually he just couldn't fly anymore, lost too many feathers, and the woodcarver Steiner shot it to put it out of its misery because it wouldn't fly. Fucking Germans. Or Swiss. Swiss. <laughs> this is some heavy-handed metaphor right here, man. Yeah. The bird couldn't fly. It couldn't do anything. 
So he shot it. So he shot it. Maybe just carry the bird with you everywhere you go. This was your reared raven friend. Walter, you domesticated a raven. No wonder the other ravens didn't like it anymore. And he and he theorizes that maybe the diet he fed it, maybe afflicted it, made its feathers fall out. It's hard to say. But ravens don't drink milk and bread. I don't think that's a normal part of a raven's diet. You made it a pet, dude. Now it's yours. Yeah. <laughs> don't just fling it back to the other ravens, watch it get his ass beat, and then be like, eh, he doesn't fit anymore. Bang! But I can understand not wanting to cage a bird. I don't know. It's, it's a weird story. Oh, that's the end of the movie, by the way. That yeah. fucking raven story. It ends on a slow-mo Steiner jump where he nails it. And there's an end quote that is shown in all in German. But I have the translation right here. I'll read it for you. Oh, how handy. I ought to be alone in the world. Just me, Steiner, and no other living thing. No sun, no culture, myself, naked. On a high rock, no storm, no snow, no banks, no money, no time, no breath. Then at least I wouldn't be afraid. Live Journal, 1974. I don't like the artsy-fartsy thing. <laughs> All right, that's the woodcover Steiner. I think I wrote a MySpace post like that once. <laughs> I didn't really get the great ecstasy in this movie. The there was not much woodcarving. It's the flying. <laughs> Drew? I almost called you Stuart. Don't do that. <laughs> He's got different films to do. You're supposed to make him sit through the miserable ones. He's next week. There's a lot going on in this documentary, man. For how short it was, how in a foreign language it was, <laughs> how little dialogue and action there were. Yeah, not a lot of talking. It really got themes across very easily. They're really relatable themes that we talk about today in sports all the time. You had transcendent athlete versus the rules of the game you had athlete versus crowd expectations you had athlete versus his own fears these are all day-to-day -day 2018 problems too yeah and super relatable and none of them were ever explicitly said in this you just realized all of them through the filmmaking there's something very meditative about the film like you can kind of just so zone out to it with the music and the visuals like we said there's not a lot of dialogue so even if we didn't have the closed captioning, I feel like we would have known pretty much what was going on. Except that there was not much wood carving. Not a lot of wood carving. You know what? I don't think I want to watch this dude carve wood for a half an hour. So it's in the he's the wood carver Steiner. I would have liked to see more than two seconds of him planing something to realize that he's an actual damn wood carver. <laughs> you think that was kind of like a tongue in cheek thing, you know? I don't think so. I think that's just how they referred to people in seventies Germany. Like that is the woodcarver Steiner. Yeah. I guess, yeah, that, that was his first career, and that's how he's known as. Yeah, that's the drunkard Samuel. But, Drew, we don't rate movies in a star rating scale. That's for those flashy, frilly ski jumpers. We're talking full-on ball-to-the-wall ski flyer Werner Herzog rating scale. Can you rate a Herzog with Herzogs? I know. I've been going. That's a weird philosophical quandary we've been going through the last few weeks. It's, it seems kind of odd. It almost like... It's not too serious, but when you rate it to a Herzog movie, it feels a little too serious. But you're going to give this one through five Herzogs. Regardless, I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. Then we're going to combine them for best out of ten Herzogs. Drew, what do you think of this movie, The Great Ecstasy of the Woodcarver Steiner? I was really impressed by how much was packed into this film. Herzog manages to distill so much from so few scenes that it really, it really absorbed me into this movie. I was shocked at how much I enjoyed watching this. 
despite how little was going on and how little I understood of what was going on. And that Steiner, like, let's be honest here, the, the subject of the film, the main character, he's probably a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> That's the impression I got from him, is that hanging out with Steiner is probably no fun whatsoever. Dude seems like a huge pain in the ass. A mope, at least. But then again, he is very smart. He really did know better than the organizers did. We don't want to hear that fucking Raven story again, Steiner. God. <laughs> God damn it. You keep saying that Raven story every party we go to. You get a beer and you talk about your Raven. How many people at parties has he cornered telling that Raven story? <laughs> that was his closer. <laughs> But again, the themes that are so present, you're very present in this film, is kind of the, the best way I could think of to put it. It makes you think, I know that's a stupid cliche way to say things, but without doing it in that cliche way, it's just automatic when you're watching this, is those themes come into your head. Again, you've got, who, whose side do you take? The transcendent athlete or the rules of the game? Does your primal sports fan in you want to be like, look, stop your fucking whining. Get on this awesome bitchin' fast course, break the world record, and get blowjobs the rest of the night. <laughs> Come on, Steiner. This is your moment, dude. Snow jobs. <laughs> you know what a Yugoslavian blowjob is, right? It's where just someone hits you in the dick with a snowball. All night long. <laughs> There's 50,000 fans climbing trees in the middle of winter to watch you jump really far. Fucking do it. But also, it's very easy... To emphasize with him that feeling of fear, fighting his fear the whole time, not even wanting to admit to it or watch other people jump, knowing that if he goes 10 feet too far, he could die because he never carved a helmet. God damn it, I wish that was the twist. I thought I had it, man. I thought this was going to Shyamalan right there at the end. He was going to carve the helmet. <laughs> we were going to get it wrapped up in a nice little bow. But that and the other twist in there, that I had this whole thing prepared to talk about, plenty of jokes to make about this... The German woodcarver Steiner going in there. And then he turns out to be Swiss right at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> totally screwed up my whole thing. What are the Swiss jokes we could throw in here? I mean, the only thing I can think of is the, the little fat foreign exchange kid from The Simpsons who's like, don't chase me, I'm full of chocolates. They hoarded Nazi gold and then uh, was like, oh, we're neutral. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that classic bit. We have lots of banks that are independent. Yeah, yeah, and you ski fly. Real good. Real good. How about that? We do love their hockey players, though. Roman Yossi. I'd like to give him a Yugoslavian blowjob. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to rate a Herzog and Herzogs. Oh, here. pardon me. Go on. So it left me wanting a little bit more. I went and I looked up Steiner after this. Wanted to see where his career went from this. Did he break the world records? And the first thing you see is, as of 2012, he resides in rural Sweden and works as a gardener. The gardener, Steiner. It seems so fitting, too. Like, yeah. no, this guy did not care about the records. He did not care about the gold medals. He did not even care about the wooden ducks. He was not in it for the wooden ducks. He was in it for the ecstasy of flying safely and conscientiously. I guess safety because he wanted to do it again. And because he didn't have a helmet. Yeah. All this is what I'm trying to say is that I'm going to give the great ecstasy of the woodcarver Steiner 3.75 Herzogs. Ooh, that's a that's a good one for you, man. Pushing four. Because again, I had nothing, no idea what to expect going into this. Initially, no idea that I was going to even understand what I was watching. Thanks to you not telling me about subtitles. <laughs> but even watching, I don't think the subtitles mattered all that much. No. 
I got just about as much from this movie as I would have anyways. It was more of an atmosphere. And just being absorbed into this and being asked the questions that were never explicitly asked by the director that came up naturally in your own head watching this film. That's what made it so interesting. Well, that's a good score, Drew, for you. And yeah, the woodcarver Steiner did not carve wood very much in this movie. But this was a beautiful film to experience. A fun one to watch. An important one in the history of Werner Herzog's films. And uh, one that he acknowledges as one of his most important films. And I found myself rooting for Steiner, but not knowing what would happen at the end of this movie. But you're right. I don't know if I really needed the subtitles to know that this guy was a brooding weirdo. You could kind of see it right on this guy's face. But like I said before, I found this movie very meditative. I love the music. And this is, I know this is a Herzog movie that a lot of people have not seen. And if you have watched more modern Herzog films, I would recommend checking this one out. It's it's really nice. And I think it's, I just found it very relaxing. Even watching a guy crash out in slow motion. <laughs> Rolling down a hill bleeding in slow-mo. Something about it. I don't know. Boy, it was brutal though. Um, but the nature of things that I really believed what this guy believed in. His passion to be up in the air like that. He really sold it for me. Shit. I'm just babbling. I'm fighting a cold. I'm going to give this a solid four Herzogs. You take your 3.75, I take my 4. That is 7.75 out of 10 total Herzogs. Very good. Probably the lowest we've gotten so far, but still very good. It just had that vibe that whole time. Had that vibe of classy movie. I feel like I could watch this again to put this on as something not to concentrate too much on and just kind of let it play. I think I could watch this movie again in that context. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You could just have those sick crashes on in the background all day. Sick crashes. I want to see the hour cut. Ooh. Come on, More Burger. sick crashes. Let's get some uh, DVD Blu-ray releases of your early shit, Burger. More yeah. sick crashes, more mouths hanging open in super, super slow-mo. But it was some handsome shit. More great ecstasy. Well, Drew. No fucking wood carving. 7.75 for the great ecstasy of Woodcarver Steiner by Werner. Herzog. Follow us on uh, social media at Documenteers. Email us at documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. I love your recommendations. Also, five stars in a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. It makes other film lovers find our podcast. Our podcast grows bit by bit each week, and you can help us do that. And if you've already given us five stars in a review on iTunes, we'll sit back and relax because you've done your job. Just enjoy our dulcet tones. You're a true hero. Drew, where can they find you? If you want to hear me talk about sports a lot more every single week, usually without Bob here, you can head on over to walkitoffradio.com. That's going to take you over to links to our radio show right here in Nashville on WXNA 101.5 FM. Or you can just tune in live if you're in the Nashville area or anywhere at WXNAFM.org. And hit us up on social media too. All of that is at Walk It Off Radio. And we're all linked together. We're all bound together like a marriage. But that, Drew, is the film The Great Ecstasy of Woodcarver Steiner by Werner Herzog. A classic. A classic. And uh, don't get frostbite from them Yugoslav BJs. Stay frosty. And stay frosty. And keep on docking.
Backroom whispers. I don't like the artsy fartsy thing. I, I think I hated his poem. Planica. Oh, my God.